Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today... I'd like to talk about equestrian dressage and Zen archery. And I'd like us to take a look at the essence of these sports. And they might seem unrelated. They might seem like a bit of a stretch of how different they are. But I wager to you, and my thesis is, that actually their essence is the same. And there's something that both equestrian dressage and Zen archery are trying to get at, which is the same. And we'll talk about the many differences as well. For one, dressage is Western and Zen archery is Oriental. Dressage is an animal sport. And Zen archery is a solitary sport, and they both can be team sports or have some sort of group participation. But before we get into too much of the detail, let's just zoom right out. Let's zoom right way back and say, why are we talking about this at all? What is in it that is of significance to people who are outside the sport? So we're talking about this as People who don't actually participate in these disciplines. And the trick is, and the reason we're talking about it, is because everything has an essence that needs to be understood. And you need to understand the essence of everything. If not by participating in it, by at least inquiring. So the question is, what is the point? What is the point of doing this? What is the point of doing anything? That old philosophical question? Well, here's an example of how we answer that. Here's the answer structurally with equestrian dressage and Zen archery as the content. So when we ask philosophical questions such as, why do anything? We can give a structural answer. Or we can give a content answer. And a structural answer would be something that we can apply to everything. And a content answer would be a specific example. So you could could break it down and say, well, why do they ride those horses in that way? Or why do they shoot that bow and arrow in that way? And that would be a, a concrete example. And then we could also have the structural answer, or the more broad term, and you say, well, what is it in horse riding and archery that is of essence to everything? What is it that can we learn, that we can learn from these sports, disciplines, arts that can be applied to other disciplines? So we're bridging the two. We're using both of these, both structural and relative or content-driven discussions. So 
always be asking yourself, and you can take this as a point of inquiry into anything. Whenever you see something, whatever it is, you really ask yourself, now, what's the point of that? Why are they doing that? Because believe it or not, there is a point to everything. There is an essence to everything. There's also a history to everything. And people spend lifetimes and people have spent, generations have spent lifetimes in acquiring knowledge and skills in certain disciplines. And it just so happens that today we're talking about dressage and Zen archery. So this is the example. And try and apply that approach or that sort of inquisitive nature to something you don't understand. Be curious about everything. That's really the main insight. Be ready for everything. Be ready to learn about everything. And you, we can, in a very foundational way, understand dressage in some ways actually more than some of the people that participate in it. Sometimes people get lost in the details. And also the same with even even with Zen archery, but maybe that's a difference between Zen archery and dressage that we'll come to. But it's possible to understand and appreciate certain disciplines on a very deep level without actually knowing very much about them at all. So appreciation and knowledge is very different. So let's get into it. Dressage essentially what we're talking about is an animal that's being put into something formal or something that's flashy, something that's in some ways beautiful and it's disciplined. And when we think of a horse in its natural inhabitat, it's like a it's a stallion, it's wild. It's got an, a ferociousness to it, not a, not a violent ferociousness to it like some animals, but it's uncontrollable. And dressage is, well, how do we take that and we turn it into something that is not exactly controlled, but refined? And that is exactly the same as what we're doing with ourselves, with our own lives with our own animalistic impulses. Now, there is a whole thing, of course I'm aware of, well, is it animal cruelty? Is this bad for the horses? Is this just suppression of their natural habitat? And that's a complicated issue. That's a deep issue. And we can't look at it simplistically. So don't be too quick to jump to conclusions. And actually, centuries ago, when dressage was first being developed, it wasn't a matter of suppressing the horse or controlling the horse. It was actually more a matter of, matter of building a relationship with the horse. And that's one of the main things about equestrian sports. It's how do you connect with an animal? 
How do you form a relationship with the animal? Now, there are certain things that occur in dressage. There are certain moves that you have to do, such as the walk and the trot and the canter. And then there's also the passage, the piaffe, the pirouette, and the half pass. And these movements, they're created with a kind of collaboration with the horse when done correctly, because it doesn't actually show as good horse riding or good training to be forcing the horse or to have the horse make a mistake and then you hit it, or you discipline the horse. Now, in many animal sports, that's sort of an ABC kind of training. That's sort of the, the harsh training, which is you, you force the animal into the trick, and if they do it right, you give them a treat, and if they do it wrong, you hit them. And that's sort of how most people think of training. That's how most people think most broadly about how humans relate to animals in the showbiz sort of sector. And that's it also goes for circus animals and dog shows and all sorts of things. But there's another side to it, which is the sensitive touch. Now, for dressage, some of the core principles go as such. You want balance. You want a lightness. You want to be demonstrating self-carriage and you want responsiveness. So with balance, both the jockey and the horse needs to be aware of where its weight is and where its weight is moving, which means the horse needs to be aware of how the jockey is sitting on its back, how the jockey is behaving on its back, as it goes through its trot, canter, and walk, and all its different turns and moves. Then there's also the lightness. And this is really the subtlety of the relationship of the jockey between the jockey and the horse. And essentially, if you're a good equestrian dressage rider, your cues will be invisible. So think of it, think of it like the opposite of the jockey sitting on the horse and they dig their heels in, or they hit it. Now, that would be bad dressage, because it's so obvious. On the other side, or what we would say is good lightness of touch, would be how subtle it is. And in a way, it would be actually invisible to someone watching if they were really performing well. And that means that the jockey is cultivating a way to allow the horse to do each move almost in its own way, almost like it's connected to the jockey. And to form that sort of relationship, you just can't be hitting your horse. You can't be abusing your horse. It needs to be done in a very gentle way. It needs to be sensitized. And then there's also self-carriage, which is how the rider is carried by the horse. So you'll notice that the horse actually lowers many of these horses. They ride with their heads and their necks arched and their heads are down. So that comes up to 
this thing of, is it natural for a jockey to sit on a horse? Well, no, it's not. But you can also say, is it natural for human beings to live in the cities that we live with the lifestyles that we have and the culture that we have? And the answer is, well, no, not exactly. We've just climbed down from the trees a few moments ago, evolutionary speaking. So it's not right to say exactly that, oh, a human in its natural habitat is doing exactly what the Neanderthals do or the apes and the chimps do. And the same thing applies here. We say, well, it's not exactly natural for a jockey to sit on a horse's back. But if we understand that there's a relationship going on there and the horse can learn certain strengths and certain ways of holding itself to accommodate for that, well, it can make something quite beautiful. And the last sort of thing that we came to was responsiveness. And this comes back again to the relationship between the jockey and the horse. And there is a lot of abuse, of course, in this sport. And the equestrian industry or the equestrian, the the art of equestrianism is full of a lot of different ideas and they're not all compassionate attitudes towards animals. But originally, back in the day when this sport was being developed, the people understood that it was about a relationship. And that same sort of relationship applies to all relationships. Because if you have a difference with someone, think of it this way. Think of it not as a jockey and a horse, but a husband and a wife, or a brother and a sister, or a friend and and, and an enemy. Now, with all those relationships and any other relationship, there are points of differences. There are points of anger, rebellion. So this would be like the horse kicking its heels off or trying to kick off its rider. And then also suppression of, oh, I'm going to control you. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to snap at you. I'm going to shout at you. I'm going to try and get you to submit to me. And yet, that's not what cultivating a relationship is about. It's about cultivating the subtlety, listening, being kind in the way that you ask. And it's not exactly that a jockey asks the horse, well, could you please now go to your trot or your canter and do it with your heels up to a certain height and turn in this way and that? Well, no. It's a kind of communication that's very different. It's a communication through touch. It's a communication through the feeling It's a communication through a kind of trust that develops. And those are the sorts of things we need more of in our personal relationships as well. Because a lot of the time when we're relating with people, we just do it with words. We put so much into our words. We try and say things in order to get the relationship happening the way we want it to. And instead, well, use touch. 
Use a kind of subtlety. Use trust. Use building rapport. And that's found in dressage. Equestrian dressage. And the other thing about dressage is, well, it's very formal. So you see, you look at these horses and they have meticulously smooth hair. Their tails are perfectly trimmed. They're all silky. They've got braided manes. And the riders are these these beautiful women or these beautiful men. And they're wearing white pants, which are spick and speck clean. These shiny shiny, shiny shoes or a vest or a hat or a helmet. It's almost like a kind of formal wear. And you see this and you see that they're performing in this outfit in mud. So you have mud on the ground and this beautiful, clean formal wear being shown off. And that shows the difference between a kind of cultivating of beauty and this sort of animalistic, dirty impulse or I don't want to say I mean impulse is only one aspect of the animalistic nature but it's really something that comes together in a kind of cultivating without suppression so that's a little bit on dressage now the same of all this goes to zen archery as well Now, when you have Zen archery, you are essentially cultivating your movements into something focused and refined, highly refined. So let me just describe what Zen archery is like for, well, there are many many processes and many forms and many different things you can do. But essentially what happens is you've got your bow, you've got your arrows, and you walk out into the arena, and you sort of walk in a very slow and meticulous way, and then you bow to the judge or the king, and then you set yourself angled up at the target, and you very, very slowly take your arrow out, put it onto your bow, and then Stand it, pull it up, and then you shoot the arrow, and then you're kneeling down, for example, and then you bow again. And if you're doing this in a group, you're actually doing it synchronized with other people. So it will be one, then the other, then the other, and you'll have to wait your turn. So you'll set your bow up, and then the next person will set their bow up, and then the third person will set their bow up, and then you will shoot. Then the second person will shoot. Then the third person will shoot. And then you will kneel and bow. And then the second person will kneel and bow. And then eventually you're going through all these different steps, one after the other, very slowly. And then you all stand up and walk out very slowly. So it's very... Think of that. Think of how how much focus there is on that one shot When you've walked in slowly, you've done your bow, you've waited your turn, you've held your pose, and all for the sake of just one arrow. Now, in the big time movies, we see arrow shooting of like, let's let's shoot as many as we can over and over. But Zen archery is really much more about the focus and refining of 
Well, your attention and your consciousness. And these Olympic archers that do archery for these gold medals in modern times, well, they do it as a practice for consciousness. And all the things that you need to master, to master meditation, you need to master archery. Things like listening to your breath, knowing where your breath is. Things like knowing where your heart rate is and controlling your heart rate and your blood pressure. Things like stillness. There's an extreme stillness to an archer. If you've ever seen these Olympic archers, look at how still they are. And they also find the exact moment between action and inaction. They're finding this moment where they release their hand, but they're not actually doing the releasing. They're actually allowing the string, the tension of the string, to do the releasing. And this is all poised technique. This is all to do with the person shooting the arrow. It's got nothing to do with the target. It's got nothing to do with actually really anything to do with shooting and hitting a target. It's all technique. And of course, for Olympic archers, you've got the whole game of the competitive nature playing in your mind or the competitive game playing in your mind. So you're thinking, oh, am I going to win? Oh, I need to practice. Oh, I really hope I win. Am I good enough? All these sorts of thoughts, all the competitive mindset thoughts. And contending with that is, well, the art of archery. It's the art of letting go. And you really have to learn to mitigate those thoughts or allow those thoughts to dissolve in order to perform. That's what a mindset coach is for. So what do they have in common, equestrian dressage and Zen archery? Well, they're both very meticulous. They're both very refined. And they're both used for consciousness work. They both come back to what does it mean for you to relate to yourself and to reality? Now, in the case of dressage, you're relating to another being. You're relating to another living force, a life force. Another beautiful, infinite form of consciousness, and that is the horse. And with archery, well, if you're doing it solo, you're doing it within yourself. And that's very much more self-knowledge driven, self-awareness driven. And yet they both have very deep underlyings to why it is you do these things. And of course, to use a funny pun, some people get the horse, put the cart before the horse. They get it backwards because they're trying to get their breath. Think of it this way. They're trying to get their breath controlled in order to shoot the arrow correctly or they're trying to get the horse to turn in a subtle way with their legs 
in order to get it to turn rather than to have the experience of the relationship with the object. Now, we could say that the bow and arrow is the same as the horse. You're forming a relationship with your bow and arrow in exactly the same way as you're forming a relationship with your horse. Now, there are different degrees of how you communicate with that object. There are different degrees of what sort of connection you can have. But it is a relationship. Think of how a Zen archer treats their bow and arrow. They're very careful with it. They clean off the arrows. They sharpen the arrows. They put rosin on the string. They're making sure the tension is just right. They always pack it away very neatly. Or they hang it up somewhere. They polish it off. They're always very careful with it. And they've also got all their other gadgets. They've got their hand things that they put on, their arm things to protect them, these sorts of things. And the, and the modern bows and arrows, well, they're, they're just incredible in- instruments, aren't they? They've got all sorts of wires on them and levers and this sight and these lines and things. If you look at a modern bow and arrow, well, that's a, that's a genius work of engineering, really. And now think of the relationship of the rider and their horse. What, is, what are they doing with the horse? They're feeding it. They're making sure it's got a clean schedule so that it's not overworked or underworked at a certain time. They're visiting it. They're grooming it, combing its hair, making sure it's got the right temperatures and the right climate. Got enough sunlight, just the right amount of sunlight, just the right amount of exercise. Visiting again, talking to it, playing games, singing to it, dancing with it, all sorts of things. And this cultivating of relationship, of course, is different for each thing that you have to form a relationship with. But fundamentally, they all come back to what it means to relate to anything. And this can be a practice. You find that someone who doesn't do any of these disciplines and starts to do them, well, it starts to spill over. Which means if you can treat a horse nice, you can treat a human being nicely. And if you can be meticulous with a bow and arrow and patient with a bow and arrow, then you can be meticulous and patient with other objects in your life. And really, that's some of the things that is said in that famous book, Zen and the Art of Archery. That's really the whole thesis of that book, is how do, you, how do you say what archery is, and yet also it's actually what everything else is as well. And it's a very good book. I highly recommend it. So you can check that out to have a bit more of an understanding of what I'm talking about here. It's another example of how we can talk about these things and make these connections. So, horticulture, or dressage, and Zen archery are two examples of traditions or disciplines that have survived for centuries 
And a difference would be, or a very big difference would be, that Zen archery is actually much more aware of the metaphysical implications of it. It's much more aware of the religious and existential implications or the the non-dual aspect of it. And it might be that there was a time when dressage was used as a philosophy or a way of life, and yet that's been lost because of how the sport has evolved over the years. But that's just how things have unfolded. That's how things have played out within culture, with the history of all the people that have encountered these disciplines and how they've been developed as competitive sports and how they've been changed because of technology and the times that we live in. But that isn't to say that we can't understand the fundamental principles. That isn't to say that we can look at it and see that there's an essence there that we can learn from. And really, horse riding is so far out of anything in my sort of understanding at all. It's so far out of my understanding of interests even. And maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but only slightly lesser, so is Zen archery. I haven't really done any archery at all in my life. and I've spoken with archers. I do know a few more archers, and I have spoken with some horse riders, but it hardly counts as having it as an interest. So the further insight is to understand that that applies to everything. So when you see something that isn't of interest of you to you normally, ask yourself now, where did this come from? What was trying to be induced into the human being when this was being developed by the founders of this discipline? And you might have to go into the history a little bit. You might have to go back a few centuries. And you might actually find that there's a lot of rage in how the sport has turned out. And there is a lot of anger, especially around horse riding, because there is so much abuse. There is so much cruelty. There is so much wrongdoing. And you can end up getting quite outraged and saying, that's not the real dressage. That's not the real meaning of autocolte. That's not really what's meant to be going on. But you can choose anything, find anything, particularly if it's an old tradition. And some traditions and disciplines do explicitly have a non-dual awareness to them, like Zen archery, and others don't. And of course, for every inquiry, you also do have to have the option of realizing actually there's nothing to this. So it's not as though I'm saying... Look at the world with rosy eyes. Everything has a deep meaning to it. Well, not exactly. And of course, we could make the argument that, well, are you just reading more meaning into it than is really there? Like if we actually got some of these top 
equestrian riders and these horse competitors, horse riders and jockeys, and we ask them about non-dual awareness and what it means to cultivate an existential and metaphysical relationship with, with reality through the discipline of horse relationships, well, they probably, most of them, I would imagine, wouldn't say much about that. And they wouldn't put it in those terms. Now, it might be that they get the essence without actually being able to express it in the words that we use here. Now, how you express the essence of something with certain words is very different. And you wouldn't say that uh, an Olympic competing jockey doesn't understand the essence of <laughs> dressage just because they can't put it into philosophical words. Because remember, actually, they understand that experientially. So they understand it in a much deeper level than you and me. Because they experience it. And you understand that, think of it this way, there is something there is something in that sport that someone has decided, okay, this is going to be worth me pursuing for my entire life. This is worth something for me to obsess over and work on and develop and cultivate and research hours of training, hours of care, hours of learning, going to teachers, going to different ranges, having different mentors, learning about breeding, learning about care, learning about how to reshoe a horse, learning about horse diet, learning about horse hair, learning about climate, learning about the nutrients in the grass that the horse is eating. So there must be something very strong in the propellant for someone to go through all that. There's always something of interest. If there's, if there's interest there, then you can guarantee that someone finds it interesting, <laughs> if that's not too much of a tautology. And the question is, well, how do we as outsiders understand that? So that's a little bit on dressage and Zen archery. We could probably have another conversation about Zen archery separate to this and compare more about the mundane correlations of, well, what does Zen archery mean for us as a way of life? And I'd probably be more comfortable talking about that than dressage. And there is quite a lot in just the statement of allowing the arrow to release from the bow. Because that's the fine line between doing and being. That's the fine line. There's a microscopic millisecond in there. There's a focus of attention and concentration that comes down to a microsecond in that act and to really have an understanding of what's going on and how you get to that and what it means and how it spills over into other things well that's a big conversation there's a lot to that
But today I thought I would just compare these two things to show that if there's interest, it's probably interesting. And every discipline has an essence. And if we understand that essence, we can see how two disciplines are both the same in some ways and also very different in other ways. And if it's a discipline that has a rich history to it, then there's a consciousness development component to it. If it's a discipline that's survived multiple cultures across centuries, and it's almost guaranteed there is a component of consciousness development to it. Which means that if you do it with this deep understanding, if you do it wanting to understand its essence, then you can use it to expand your awareness. You can use it to cultivate consciousness. So I hope you have a beautiful day and I hope you find something interesting that before you didn't find interesting. So thanks very much and that's all I have to say for now.